Welcome back to Dad Conversations, where we spotlight successful, interesting, and normal people who happen to be dads. Today you'll hear my conversation with Reuben Harris. Now make note of the name Reuben Harris. I love what he's doing, and I'm convinced that he's not only involved in the evolution of education, but I feel like he has an important role to play in shaping that evolutionary process. After entering Silicon Valley as an outsider, he was inspired to start a company that connects job seekers with qualified tech boot camps and other educational opportunities that rapidly reskill people at little to no cost and then place them in entry level tech jobs, making a good salary and benefits. We talk about throwing massive hip hop dance parties in Atlanta, studying music at a religious school, disruption in the classic education model, how someone can go from making a meager hourly wage to earning a salary, income share agreements, finding mentors when you're starting with nothing, and being open about having faith while living in a secular world. I had a blast chatting with Ruben, and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to his experience and insights. Today, we're joined by Ruben Harris. Ruben's the CEO of Career Karma, and uh, he is he started out in investment banking. He's a professional cellist, uh, Y Combinator alum, contributor to TechCrunch, podcast host, and now the CEO of a tech startup that's aiming to positively impact a billion people in the next 10 years. So uh, that's quite a career you're having. Thank you for being here, and welcome to Dad Conversations. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on the show. Man, it's uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, you've, and just want to let you know, you've quickly become my go-to person for uh, career reorientation. I had one of my, uh, the wife of one of my friends from business school reached out to me and said, "Hey, you work at a tech company. What, you know, what should I know? I'm thinking about getting into technology. There's a lot out there. There's so many resources." I uh, I sent her a lot of thoughts, a you know, fairly long email with uh, a lot of bullets. But the only link I sent her was actually to your website, Career Karma. So I wanted you wanted you to know Thank you're becoming you, my go-to guy. So that's um, awesome. For those out there, I could tell them what Career Karma is, but maybe it'd be better to hear it in in your words as uh, as the representative of the company. So what is Career Karma, first of all? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you just described is like a perfect. Uh, pain point that we're trying to solve, which in a word, in a couple words, is just career guidance, right? You can think about career karma kind of like the trip advisor for your career, where instead of sending you to another country, we're helping you get a job at a company or the right training programs that you want to get matched with. So uh, just to explain what we do, what we do is we match career transitioners to job training programs so they could get high paying jobs in tech in about a year. And not only will our software match you with one of 450 job training programs across the country, we'll give you support during the program, during the job search, and for the rest of your life um, through a virtual peer mentorship group that we call a squad. This group of people won't just be mentors and coaches. There'll be people that are like you. So since we're on the uh, on a dad podcast, if you're a dad, we'll connect you with other dads. If you're a mom, we'll connect you with other moms. And so that peer mentorship and guidance is really important. And our technology helps you always connect with humans uh, that are helping humans. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. 
using tech to make uh, make lives better for people. It's all yeah. about making the world a better place. That's good. Um, so, Ruben, let's. Uh, have, you're you're an entrepreneur now. Have you always been an entrepreneur? I'm curious to hear a little bit about you. You know where you where you grew up. What your what were your origin story? What's your origin story? And uh, what were you like as a kid? Um, so, if you would just tell us a little about you. Yeah, I mean, I always told my mom and dad that I was never gonna work for somebody. I was not gonna, never gonna get a job. Um, but my <laughs> my mom was was surprised that I did get a job straight out of college, which was an investment banking, like you said. But growing up, like I would, I would sell candy, and there was a a, a gas station called Quick Trip, so I would go to Quick Trip. QT's the best, dude. Isn't that a good yeah, gas yeah, station? Exactly, exactly. Dude, if so, I'm on a road trip and I see QT, <laughs> I'm stopping there. Like I'll, I'll hold out exactly, for QT. Exactly, and like the the blow pops were like ten cents. At the time, so I would get the, the use ten dollars, get like all the blow pots that you need for for ten dollars, and then sell them for twenty five cents, and always just keep flipping, keep flipping. So like started off with that, did the whole lemonade stand thing, did the whole um, music thing because I, I actually performed a lot, so I'm like, like did a, did little gigs here, there, whatever. Always had an entrepreneurial spirit, spirit um, through parties, made a lot of money through promoting parties, which is big in Atlanta culture. Um, how, but how does that? How did you do that? You like you you, you get yeah. How do you get the? You, are you performing or you're orchestrating and hiring the talent? How does that work? Well, it's a good it's a good question. So I'm a I'm a classical musician by 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 training. Um, so a lot of stuff that I was doing before was just more focused on like Beethoven and Brahms and Rachmaninoff that type of stuff. But there's also a studio musician culture in 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 the hip hop and R and B world, and a lot of technology has advanced a lot, so you can use a lot of really cool things to make music in the studio. But I would tell a lot of the producers in Atlanta um, that real strings are better than keyboard strings, and and the way that I would network to get in with them is actually MySpace. So MySpace was a big big deal. So the way that I got in with Zaytoven, uh, which is a Gucci Mane's producer, was just straight through MySpace. The way I got in was with Sons, who got me to Kelly Rowland and Travis Porter was just through same the same type of pitch was like real strings are better than keyboard strings and just about being affiliated in the studios where Tricky and the Dream were who did all of Bieber's first records Mariah Carey's records like all these different records I was able to get connected to club world because the the hip hop and R B world is very linked to the club world and the club world is very linked to distribution of products especially alcohol um so like that's that's actually a very big thing so like blame it on the alcohol buy me a drink akon was in atlanta t-pain was in atlanta a lot you know like all this type of stuff so all the clubs function as like distribution channels for like brands and then they'll pay a lot of money you have all the athletes coming through and so that's that's how i got connected in that world um even though i grew up in a religious family which led to my whole Bout with sobriety, and so now I've been ten years sober. But that's a whole nother story. Congrats, um, congrats, but, um, man. But um, but yeah, that's that's how it how it how it I got introduced into that world. Cool. Um, so tell me, uh, you studied music? That's right. You carried on with your your yeah, passion yeah. of of music and yeah. Any, uh, I, what were you like? What were you doing up to in college? I did a double major in business, business, business administration and music. So my first, so I started off in Montessori school, like I said, religious schools, my whole life, elementary, high school, college. Um, my first cello teacher was Bonnie Bull in Atlanta. 
Then it was Wolfgang Laufer, who's now passed away, and then another cello teacher named um, Dr. Stroud. Um, and um, and through 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 that period, like the push was to go to like a top music school. Um, but I also had my cello teachers, my Wolfgang uh, Wolfgang Laufer's wife, um, Mariana Laufer, who's a top ballet dancer. She she kind of like encouraged me to master business because a lot of artists ends up being broke and starving artists because they don't understand the business side of things and they don't realize that as an artist you're own, you're your own brand. And so yeah. um she told me to master business. And so that's that's why I did a major in business administration and music. That is awesome. And um I I wish that that was part of all music curriculum, right? Because there's mm-hmm. some of the best best performers in the world are are living day to day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. A lot, it's, it's very similar to like skill sets. A lot of people think that like, um, you know, when you talk about the future work and skill development, especially in a time right now where 52 million Americans lost jobs, everybody's like, I got to go back to school. I got to get a new skill set and then I got to get a job. And everybody over optimizes to get good at the skill, which I think is like not a bad thing. But the most important thing is making sure yourself noticed, right? Because to your point, there are some of the best musicians that I've ever met in the world that are broke because they don't know how to get out there. It's, it's t- the getting a job is very similar to trying to get a big break in music. It's not just about playing. You got to be able to be noticed and play your de- demo tape for the right person and and really become your own brand. Especially as we enter into the the end of occupational identity, where people people aren't just defined by what they do. You could be a multi instrumentalist, you know. So. So by occupational identity, meaning that someone is it ties their who they are with with what they do, is that what you're That's saying? That's right. That's right. I mean, historically, pre-corona, and even like, you know, starting to get like when the fourth industrial revolution being talked about, everybody would just focus on like going to the best school and getting a job, and like that's what you do for years. So like, I'm a doctor. I'm a football player. I'm a I'm a whatever architect. But now you're going from school to school to school and company to company to company, which is why understanding how to be your own brand matters now, like which is very similar to being a musician that's successful, right? So as a musician that's successful, you really have to understand how to promote yourself. And so that's, that's why these things are starting to become increasingly important. Gotcha. Also, a quick question, because I'm a little bit of a history nerd, but when you say the fourth industrial revolution, I think the only industrial revolution I think of would be like the 1800s when you got people coming from farms and moving to the city and working on machines. Mm-hmm. But are, are, what are the other ones I'm missing? Yeah. So when you think about the first, second and third, uh, first, second, third and fourth industrial revolution, like just to keep it simple with the fourth industrial revolution, we're talking about just like technology taking over everything. Um, and like jobs being created and destroyed at a at a much faster pace. I want the 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 first industrial revolution was like steam, water power mechanization. The second industrial revolution was mass production and electricity. Third industrial revolution was electronic IT systems and automation. And the fourth is like cyber physical systems. So when you see like um, manufacturing, all these different things that are being being taken over it's important to understand these different these different these different changes um there's a lot there's a lot more depth to talk about when it comes to this type of stuff mm-hmm. um, but high level 
I would just, the way I would think about it through all these different phases is that increasing numbers of jobs are being destroyed because of better technology, but also increasing numbers of jobs are being created. And so you don't want to stay focused on a single role and, right. and you want to embrace lifelong learning because there's always like your role that you're currently in might be phased out because of technology. And so you got to constantly be on your toes to be aware of what, not only what open jobs are available, but what new industries might even be created that right. you, you have complementary skills in that you might have to have additional skills to get into them. For, for example, like a podcaster, like who knew podcasting was going to be big or YouTube was going to be big or all these other roles, like growth roles were going to be big, product management was going to be big. And so you got to always be aware of these new roles that are going to be created because of efficiencies in technology. Yeah, that's an interesting topic because I think back on, you know, maybe 150 years ago, someone was a, I don't know, a steam engine mechanic or they made, you know, uh, they took care of horses or built uh, buggies for horse and buggy. It's like, you could be the best one in the world, hardest working person, but at some point like that job's just going to go away or dwindle to nothing. Mm -hmm. And you want to say, okay, I'm a problem solver. I can see, you know, I see issues. I can work it out of the wood here. We'll use that same skill and apply it to a field that's growing and up and coming. And that's, that's mm -hmm. what I love about, you know, career comma and was excited to have you on. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, thank you, man. So tell me a little about your your career journey. You um, graduated from college studying music and business. Where'd you go from there, and and um, how did we end up here? Yeah, I think um, I think what I think of myself and I think about career karma, it's it's the product that my co-founders and I wish that we had when we were breaking into tech. Like our life is a story of constant um, iteration and adapting to what the current reality is, right? The reason why I went into investment banking is because when I was in college, the hottest fields to get into were banking and consulting, right? Now, the hottest thing is get into startups, even if you go to business school, right? Or, you know, start your own company or go into venture capital to make money to give to tech companies because, like, that's what's driving this whole current COVID world and the post-COVID world as well. And so... I've worked at like seven different type different types of roles and companies since I graduated in 2010, and it's always been a constant iteration in what we want to do. So when I um, after investment banking, um, I got a job at a company called Alt School, uh, which is for focus on personalized education. Then I was at Honor, which is in healthcare technology, and then I was at uh, Hustle, which is political technology. Um, but before moving to the Bay Area to do that, my co-founders uh, decided to learn tech skills. They decided to do boot camps themselves to essentially teach themselves how to do software engineering uh, because that's what was going to be important when we wanted to build a company in the future. So they focused on that. I focused on mastering sales um, and being able to raise money so that we could start something in the future. And that's that's kind of that's kind of like what we did is just like, surround ourselves by the right people and understand what are the roles that are available, what do we feel our purpose is going to be, and then match ourselves up to those things constantly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so when you, when, you, when you think about 
career karma in the future. Like ultimately we want to be a platform that has millions and billions of people that are transitioning careers looking for guidance. Like you said, like your friend. Like most people when they'll have a question like what you said in the beginning, but they don't know where to go. So it should be what should I do to get into that? or what should I do to get a job period? Go to career karma and we'll match it with the right training, the right people at the right time to get you to the right company. And if and maybe even in the future, once we have that locked down, if you want to start your own company, then we can connect you to the right people to do that as well. Now, tell me a little about um, where you see the future of education going. Mm. That's a good question. I'll say the two main trends that I see related to education are um, the unbundling of education, number one, uh, the unbundling of higher education. Then number two, um, increasing the demand for skills-based training. Um, and the reason why I say those two trends is because historically, when you talk to educators in college, there's a big debate about whether education is for um, learning or getting a job. I'll say these days, pretty much everybody across the board wants to get a job, period. And higher education is shifting from just purely offline into Online or a hybrid of both, very similar to, um, very similar to a um, companies, right? That are not providing remote work. Everybody's like saying they're going to be all remote or a hybrid of both. And so, what that does, it also accelerates a lot of dynamics that have historically existed, where colleges have um, a lot of challenges financially, and you're going to see a lot of colleges shut down. You're going to see a lot of companies, a lot of colleges that are more fortunate position to buy each other. So you're going to see a lot of M&A activity. You're already starting to see colleges partner with short-term outcomes-driven boot camps. So, like for example, every program that we match you with in, in Career Karma has a job guarantee. And if you mm -hmm. don't get a job, you don't pay anything. Um, but oh, if you do awesome. get a job, then the tuition comes out of your new salary, either through an income share agreement, deferred tuition. Or if you do decide to pay up front, there's a money-back guarantee. So that's why people really come to Career Karma because of that feature. But you're starting to see universities partner those programs to not just give them the job guarantee, but also. So that's actually a very big deal that we're starting to see. So you see Southern New Hampshire University doing thing for. You see Kenzie Academy doing it with Washington Governors University. Uh, you see Butler. Uh, doing it with Kenzie as well, so a lot of a lot of that partnership where you get the credential and the the guaranteed job, so that that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. You're seeing, like I just said, innovations on the financing model. You know, most people don't have money to pay for college. Even if you have access to like Pell grants and financial aid, um, people don't want to get more debt. All right, so that's an, that's another another. You're seeing innovation on the financing side of things. Um, in tech and in education, you're starting to see a big focus on community especially because the pandemic has um, has enhanced a lot of these around uh, loneliness um, and lack of connection with others. Whenever you have massive unemployment, you see increased levels of suicide, depression, anxiety, things like that. And so as you're going through a career transition, you need to do it with other people that are like you because, I mean, psychology has always been key to a labor transition, but having that that group of people that have been through it with you or that are going through it with you to help you push, 
push through the psychological blocks is increasingly important. So I would say, um, if I was gonna if I was gonna summarize what I just said, I think that what we're gonna see is increasing fragmentation in education, more consolidation, a bigger focus on outcomes driven training, making more accessibility from a finance perspective. That I think the cost of education is actually going to go down to zero like it is in the rest of the world, not immediately, but eventually. Um, and since people aren't going to stay in one company forever, and they're not going to go to just one school forever, and they're going to go from school to school to school and company to company to company, the value is the network, and that network will be career companies. I like how you said that they're in, in groups or, or pods or however to where you have someone not only to go through classes with and say, hey, I was out the last 10 minutes, what I miss or, or just have a friend and then also someone to cheer for when when they go get that job that they're hoping for and someone who you'll be tight with throughout your career because you you know, you got in, you started together at the same time. I think that's that's a, a vital component of building that little uh, culture. So that's yeah. awesome. I think um, to your point, um, you know, something that's hot right now in ed tech is like learning pods for K to 12 because, you know, a lot of dads and moms are stuck at home quarantined with their kids, which mm -hmm. is very tough, especially if you don't have a large home, which most people don't have. And the kids are climbing all over you because they're kids. Like that's, that's what they're going to do. They're not doing anything wrong. And then because the parents are stressed and they like might discipline them more with, for like, which is not always right. You know, sometimes it, I, I do believe in this one. I, I'm a big believer in like, there's nothing wrong with, you know, yeah, yeah. your child. So that's, I'm going to put that out there. But at the same time, sometimes kids are just being kids. And so right, right. historically putting a kid in school has been kind of like daycare during the day. Right. So you're seeing a huge focus on daycare now from the government, from ed tech leaders, from whatever. So these learning pods are a big deal. But to your point, CareerCom has been onto the pod, learning pod squad thing for a long time, from the beginning. And we actually got that concept from um, not just our own story, because my co-founders and I have been together since we met in 2014, just going through this journey together, but also because um, of a concept in Japan called uh, a MOAI, M-O-A-I. Um, in um, Okinawa, Japan, there is that's where you find the the world's uh, oldest community of women. Right? So the women live like ninety plus. It's, it's a blue zone. So they in mm. blue zones, people live hundreds of years. Right? And a moai is when a group of five people commit to each other socially, financially, spiritually, whatever. Like we got each other's back from the beginning, forever. And there's a good New York Times article called The Power of Positive People, where we 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 started off calling these groups circles inside a career comma, but now we call them squads. Um, and that, now Harvard Business School is even talking about what we're doing as well in, in UK studies. So, um, yes, uh, the, long story short, I agree with you. Community support. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hey, one of the things you mentioned earlier that um, I've recently become familiar with, but I would like the average person to understand is an income mm -hmm. share agreement. So you mentioned yeah. there is typically like three options, one of which is an income share agreement. And for that yeah. matter, maybe we talk about the other two just to be clear mm -hmm. on what someone who's living in you know rural America, let's maybe they're making um, 
they could be making minimum wage. Maybe they're making $20 an hour, but either way they go, I want to go into tech. I want to have a salary. I want to have benefits. I want to have a career and not just a job. So if you're looking at, you know, going into a training program, um, what are those financing options you mentioned? If we could walk through those. Yeah. So I'm going to break it down, but I, I highly encourage everybody listening to this podcast to listen to three episodes on our podcast. So I run a podcast as well called Breaking Into Startups. One of them that you should listen to is with Tonio DiSorrento from Vimo Education. Another one is with Angelus Resni from Climb Credit. And another one is with, um, I believe, Rick O'Donnell from Skills Fund. So they'll break down a lot of these different financing options. Um, but um, but um, going back to your question about um, income share agreements, before talking about income share agreements, think about just how people pay for education, period. It's either you pay for the money up front, you take out a loan, or the government pays for it, right? Or you have some kind of philanthropy coming in to, um, you know, give it your full ride, right? Full ride, right? And um, that's just how it's existed forever. Most people don't have the money to pay for it up front. Um, So when boot camps first started, it was just a group of random people that were like, hey, like, let's, we think that we can train you faster like in three months to get you a job versus waiting for two to four years. And if I get you a job that pays seventy two hundred thousand dollars then you agree to pay me like ten to fifteen thousand dollars, something like that. Right? So that's like how it first existed. And so that, that worked that's out very deal, well. By the way. It's a great deal, right? <laughs> that's you know, a deal. Save time, Sign save money, up. make a lot of money, right? And so that's that worked well. But if you think about the amount of people that have like ten to twenty thousand dollars sitting in their pocket, that's a very small percentage of the entire United States. And so some schools were like, like a flat iron school, for example, was like, hey, look, you know, this, this, um, this education is great, but we've, we've got a reputation that's so strong that we're not just going to get you a job. If you pay me up front and you don't find a job in six months, you could give us, we'll give you your money back. Like that's how confident we are in that. So that's the money back guarantee. And you had schools like an app academy who was like, hey, look, let me level any money up front you put a deposit down that if that will be refunded if you drop out in the middle of it but like you don't pay us any money and if you don't get a job you don't pay a dime but if you do get a job in the salary range that we promise you then the tuition comes out of your new salary so that was good but app academy and and several other schools will like take the risk on their own books right so app academy took the risk on their books and then you had um Organizations like Vimo Education, Leaf, and others saying, "Hey, look, uh, we're very we're at a uh, Edley. Um, they're like, hey, we're very familiar with the capital markets. We can help you where um, we can we can help you provide ISAs at scale for people. For people that don't know what an income share agreement is, there's four triggers to an income share agreement. There's number one, a guaranteed salary. Number two, a percentage of your salary that they will take." for a duration of time, so that's a duration of time, and there's a maximum that you would ever pay, which is a cap, okay? And so let's say that, um, you can still hear me? Yep. Yeah, so let's say that, um, let's say that um, I promise I'm gonna get you a job for um, $50,000, and you agree to pay 10% of your salary for three years um, up to $30,000, okay? That's the most you ever have to pay. And you get a job for $150,000, for example. 10% Ten percent of one hundred fifty thousand is fifteen thousand. After two years, that's thirty thousand. But I told you three years. When are you done? You're done after two years, 
let's say you get a job for fifty thousand. If you pay ten percent of fifty thousand, that's five thousand. After three years, that's fifteen thousand. But I told you thirty thousand. So how much did you pay? Um, fifteen thousand. So you're either paying below or the max. Let's you say pay the less of either. That's a, exactly. That's exactly. such a steal. That's yeah. a great. That's yeah. a great opportunity. Yeah. There's so many people who are making like twelve or fifteen dollars an hour that are mm -hmm. really capable, that are hustling, they're yep. working hard in a small business, and um they're they could run circles around somebody who's got a fifty thousand dollar salary, you know, you get them mm -hmm. in. I mean and 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 the it's such a small price to pay when okay, fifty thousand dollar salary, you're paying ten percent. That's only five grand. Now you're making forty five thousand and you work oh, making you know, and uh, a meager hourly wage, you know, exactly. And, and, exactly. So, w with people who have that kind of a transformative opportunity, are there enough jobs out there to place people mm -hmm. in when like, are you, if you get too many applicants going to these boot camps, like are, are people able, still able to get enough jobs? Yeah, it's a good question. Before going to questions, I want to point out a couple of oh, yeah. things about the income share agreement. So, Sorry, I, mean, I interrupted no, you. No, 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 no worries. No, it's perfect. So, like, my ADD, I'll probably do it again. So, I just want to. No, no, that was good. No, I think, <laughs> I think to, to, for the people to understand that um, with an income share agreement, if you get laid off um, after you get a job, you're actually not paying unless you're in a job and there's no interest to it, which is very different than a student loan. A student loan, you'll still get interest. You'll, it'll accrue to the principal. A lot of people pay interest on student loans forever, never pay down their debt, which is a big problem. The other thing to keep in mind is since schools are trying to run um, and stay alive, um, another thing that some schools will do instead of holding the risk the whole time when you graduate and you find a job, sometimes they'll sell the ISA to a bank or to a third party so that they can get some money to their teachers early mm -hmm. on. And they'll either do a shared risk thing where the school will hold some and, and so will the third party. And um, and then the student will pay it down or it'll just, you know, just be completely sold to the third party. So that's something to keep in mind because a lot of people. But no, have, no change to the, to the learner, right? It's no just, change to uh, the learner. It's just, yeah. just so they know what's going on in the back end because I know some people have caught like said that that's in that's a flag but i think that like when you think about financing for education it's like it's coming from the government it's coming from philanthropists yeah. it's coming from so, like a like a, a huge financial aid organization so just if so someone you know takes my mortgage made, and sells it to you know, another bank yeah. i don't care yeah. just tell yeah. me where i'm just cut the check the same place you guys just exactly. sort it out, you know? exactly exactly but go, not not going back to 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 your question, remind me of the question one more time. It was related to I have ADD too. <laughs> Getting enough? Uh, are there enough jobs enough out jobs. there? Okay, yeah. So that's important to understand. So like, how and how can they guarantee? I don't know. So this will be maybe a two part, but like, how can they guarantee someone is going to be able to get a job? You know, they will. Yeah. How can they take on that risk? They're just whoever signs up for it, they they're interviewing people ahead of time to make sure they're you know they can figure this out and get a real job yeah so when you think about um why we started with boot camps boot camps are the first outcomes driven education system that has consistently placed tens of thousands of people into jobs with online flexibility full-time and part-time which in the beginning, people were confused about why we focus on that since it was so niche. But now, every single education system in the world is trying to figure out how to do online outcomes-driven education 
that has some type of a job guarantee, especially that has flexibility because a lot of the people that are learning are parents, right? So, like, if you're a parent, it's very difficult for you to do a full-time program. Like, there's a lot totally. of people that will drop out of the middle just because of having kids. So I'll, I'll start there. Now, when you think about corona, um, the thing that corona has done is expose the organizations that have technology at its core that's either flexible to adapt to, to, to quickly to a change, ever-changing world or that were timed very well to survive the the nuclear bomb that we got hit by, right? Because if you look at what's booming in the economy right now, it's tech companies like Amazon's killing it right now. Like, you know, Apple's kill, like all the, all the fang companies are killing it right now because they already have tech at their core. And the reason why I bring this up is because historically we have seen the technology industry as separate from everything else, but tech is now core to everything. All right, so I don't care if you're a for-profit, a non-profit, a church, whatever. If you don't have tech at your core, you're dead. All right? And if that's the case, then the universal language of these companies is code. All right? And so when you look at the job openings, the job openings don't match the 52 million Americans that just lost jobs. It looks like there's a severe mismatch. But when you look at the number of people that the college system is producing, and the number of people that are graduating from uh, the classes are producing, the number of people that actually know how to code, period, and the fact that um, companies are raising millions of dollars every day for these for tech companies, there's a huge opportunity for people to get these jobs. And the thing to, to keep in mind about job openings is that's what's listed online. Most jobs are listed, listed offline, right? Anytime a company raises money, they're hiring. Facts. And so if you sign up to a newsletter like a Strictly VC, you'll see new companies raising millions and millions and millions of dollars every single day, especially in ed tech. Like Coursera just raised $130 million. Campus Lodges just raised $120 million. Like all these other companies are raising millions and millions of dollars. Anytime that happens, they're hiring. So I would argue that um, since tech is – since there's going to be 4 billion new people that are coming online in the next six years – and everything is driven by tech now, you need way more coders, designers, and data scientists in order to survive in that, that new world. So it's not going to be an issue. I don't think the entire world will be engineers, coders, and data scientists, and we're not going to stop with only developing those people inside of Career Karma. We will help you get jobs in sales and other roles like that too. But I do think that for now, that is the smartest direction to go to right now. Right. You can always branch out in time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm you're dialed into the details in this industry. Um, I'm curious if you um, regularly hear any what you'd consider bad recommendations when it comes to people who are going through a career transition or maybe looking mm-hmm. at boot camp. Um, anything that you would commonly hear you disagree with? Yeah. So I see a a huge emphasis on credentials. I think that overemphasizing on credentials is the wrong approach, right? And the reason why is because if you over-index on getting a credential, you're going to end up where everybody else is. Like, So essentially, like the reason why a college brand is so strong is because they've sold the mindset that if you have a degree, you're going to have a guaranteed lifetime of, of, of income 
that's higher than most people. And since I'm clear that most jobs are offline and come through referral, and I went to a school that you never heard of, and I didn't have the GPA, I didn't have the SAT scores, and I've helped thousands of people do the same, whether they went to college or not, um, I think over-indexing on certificates and credentials is not the way to go. That doesn't mean I think that certificates and the credentials aren't important, but it's not it's not what I would focus on. So I think I think that's, that's one thing. Gotcha. The other thing the other thing that I think that people don't emphasize enough is what we talked about in the beginning, um, is the importance of your digital identity and branding yourself. All right. Um, every company is a media company and every human is now a media company because whenever you're going through a job transition, an employer is going to Google your name. If you're starting a company, an investor is going to Google your name, right? If you're an investor, an entrepreneur is going to Google your name, right? So your yeah. reputation is going to precede you. Right? That's such Unless a good you're, point. Like, whatever um, it is you're looking for, you're going to get Whatever you're trying to do, you're going to get Googled, right? Like even – like. Some some investors, like a benchmark, for example, like they just might have like their logo and like no contact information. And some people can do that after they've built a reputation for a very long time. But for most people, you're going to have to communicate who you are online, right? And if you don't like what pops up, you're going to have to start shaping that narrative today, right? And um, with that in mind, so certificates don't really matter that much, Um your digital identity matters more. Focus less on resumes, build projects, and understand how to build a network in a way that's not transactional. And what I mean by that is some people will go to a school, not just because of their reputation and, and um, the quality of their curriculum, but also because of the network. And I do think that a network is important. But if you over-index on the network from a professional perspective, then I think that the quality of the relationship is less strong. Like, for example, if, like, I see the football on the background, right? Or if you're a dad, right, and I'm a dad, right? We got something that's deeper than where we went to school, right? Because we, we love the same sports team. We know the same players. We understand the struggles yeah. that dads deal deals with. And because I felt your pain, on a personal level, I want to help you, right? Because I see myself in you. You like family to me. You see what I'm saying? And I think that people people don't know how to build quality relationships. Less people know how to build quality relationships that aren't transactional. I think that's what we need to focus on more if we want to teach people how to navigate a career, which ultimately is what we do is career navigation. Yeah. That's a good point, too, because like when you meet someone from your school or whatever, you could just instantly like, oh, they're in my tribe or, mm-hmm. oh, g- barely know the guy. But we, you know, we go to church together like we're in the same exactly. tribe, you know, mm-hmm. barely know him. But what we mm-hmm. have a shared experience like we're in the tribe, you know, it's mm-hmm. Interesting mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. that's exactly we're, right. We're such if a you, unique if, species. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there are ways to create instant connections with people without having to even do a coffee about like something professional. So to your point. Mm. So stepping back a little bit, um, 
you have had a phenomenal career already and you're i don't even think you're i don't i don't think you're older than me i think you're you're still uh early 30s i'm guessing yeah, I'm 33 yeah okay same age then uh so based on what you've achieved so far i'm assuming you've got some balling mentors uh oh yeah tell me a little about who like who have your mentors been and maybe maybe more importantly like um how did you connect with them and and um, develop a relationship that was helpful for you. Yeah. So my three favorite mentors, I would say is, um, well, I have a few favorite mentors, but I'm going to start off with three women that are really powerful in my life outside of my parents. Um, number one, Phaedra Ellis Lampkins was the CEO of promise. Number two, Iman Abu Zaid, who's the CEO of incredible health. And number three, I've only had one like Zoom interaction with her, but I'm very, very impressed with her. Her name is Amira, and she's the CEO of Moss, but she is powerful. And like the the conversation that I had with her was just mind blowing. Moz, the marketing company? No, Moz, the that's a good question. Not the marketing company, Moz, the student finance company. They just raised um, uh, money from Sequoia. And a bunch of okay. other all stars, but she's 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 amazing. Um, there are other women, so like Jotaka Edie, she is like Silicon Valley's Olivia Pope. Um, she's a very close mentor of mine. Um, Michael Seibel from the CEO of Accommodators, also one of my closest mentors. Um, Nate Jones, who is um, at Andreessen Horowitz, good friend of mine, also GP at the Opportunity Fund at Andreessen. Um, and I got I got I got a lot. So so I don't I don't want to I don't want to um, discredit all my favorite mentors. I love all of you all, by the way. Um, <laughs> and um, but yeah, shout out to everybody that believe Frida Capo Klein at the Capo Center. She's she's amazing, like very powerful um, and many others, many others. What do you do to what you, I think as anyone who's an aspiring mentee, what you don't want to do is just say, Hey, come help me or, um, have it focused all on, you know, you give to me, right. How do you reach out to them and maintain a, a relationship and a dialogue and how do you uh, pull advice out of them or what, tell me about some of your interactions and, and how you manage that on an ongoing basis. Yeah, I'm trying to think about like so like there's two other one like there's three other women. There's like there's Maria Salamanca, there's Jomera Herrera, there's um Alex, um, who's that first round. Like I'm trying to remember how I initially connected with them. And I don't remember, but I know it was like organic. It was before I was raising money. I think with Maria it was more like when I was raising money and I was introduced through somebody else. Maybe I read her I read about her in like a Forbes article or something. But like since day one, since I've been in Silicon Valley, I've been organizing events that are non-transactional. And I learned that from throwing parties in Atlanta. So on mm-hmm. day one, when I came to Silicon Valley, I met um, Nate Jones. And Nate Jones, this was before he was running his own fund. He was still at Andreessen. Well, he was running his own company, actually. He was running a company called Ag Local. He was in Fast Company and all these things. And he he literally tweeted that he was going to like hold me down and, and, and look out for me. And he invited me to a meeting with um, Eric Torenberg, Chris Lyons, who also runs the cultural leadership funds. Now Eric Torenberg now runs a hundred million dollar fund. This was when he was still at product Hunt. 
back in the day, and we would just break bread together. We ate food. Nikhil, who's a investor at Shasta Ventures, he was there, and many other like current founders now. So, but this was like before anybody was anybody. We were just eating food. Um, and then I would I would organize events from day one. So what I learned from Atlanta um, is how to brand myself as a as a hustler, right? Because and when I was throwing parties in Atlanta, we would organize big parties. We'd have a photographer at the party. Whenever we have the pictures, you upload the picture, and everybody will know you came to our party. So when mm-hmm. I came to the Bay Area, I kind of like took the same philosophy. Instead of focusing on celebrities, I'll focus on the most important people in tech that I read about. Right. So side would, note, I feel like throwing having a background and throwing successful parties is such a good foundation for them doing networking and because yeah. it's kind of naturally your background is let's make it fun. You know, that's the yeah. key ingredient for having a good event. Yeah. I mean, so so to your point, like when I first came here after meeting Eric Tornberg and all these different people, um, it was the Floyd, Weather, Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight. OK, and so I did this big mansion party. Um, at a house that I was staying in called Agape with a bunch of tech people, but it was like not just white people. It was like white, black, every race, Latinx, whatever. And it was just like late. And during that party, I met this guy named Charles Pridgen, and we um, he runs this thing called the Black Professionals Network. And then we just started throwing a ton of events. So the way I met Michael Seibel is when he first became CEO of Y Combinator, there was a big article in U.S. News. And I just sent him an email saying that I wanted to help him with whatever. And then he was like, I'm down. And so I did this huge event at a club called Infusion Lounge here in San Francisco. So, like, San Francisco is not a clubbing city, but I threw a party at a club. I had a DJ from the Warriors named D Sharp, and I made all the, all the speakers to be YC Portfolio Companies, Michael, other investors, and I had a, a crowd of all black people and, 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 and there was still some diversity in there as well from a yeah. non-black perspective. And then we had a red carpet, we had a step and repeat, we had a photographer and it was huge. So that, that led awesome. into, yeah, it was fun. And so that was interesting because, you know, a lot of people talk about diversity in tech, but like they say they don't exist, but that we were right. So that was, that yeah. was a big thing. Like, right? I got a whole room full of people. Yeah, exactly. So that was a big thing. And then we started organizing, and I know I'm kind of rambling. We also organized these groups called Fearless, where the Bay Area is special, where there's all these people in tech, but nearby there's amazing things that you could do, like whitewater rafting or dune buggies or skiing or whatever. But nobody ever wants to organize it. But since I'm good at organizing, we would organize huge trips um, like that were like adventurous. And that we, called, we started a group called Fearless that led into Rise, that I started doing with Eric and anyway, that's how we got our network up was just by doing cool things with cool people. Nobody knew what each other did, but we did know that we were all professional. And this was before even some series started and all these other things started. We've been doing that for a long time where it was like not exclusive, inclusive. It was just inclusive and everybody was dope. Interesting. That's First of all, awesome. Uh, such a cool experience uh, you've been through. I like the the fact that you hustle and, and make things happen. And that um, makes me think of um, when we when it comes to mentoring, when I'm, I'm no mentor, I wouldn't, I'll be the first one to say that. But the times when I've like sort of taken somebody under my wing or given them some advice, I'm generally looking for someone who has done something 
or started mm-hmm. something, right? They've shown mm-hmm. some sort of initiative, like, mm-hmm. hey, I really want to go do this, but I, I have this skill, but I really want to go work on something. And and I see them as like, that's an up and comer who can do great things and I want to help them. You know, it's like, it's, it's easier to help that person. I can see you putting all this together in San Francisco and people are like, yeah, he's going somewhere. Let's, mm-hmm. I want to invest more in him than just someone who puts together a, almost thoughtless request for being mentored, you know? So yeah, I think demonstrating that, like you said, your brand of that, you're, you're someone who's makes things happen. Then people are willing to invest and pour into you and, and be there when you have a question or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think to your first point, I would say everybody's a mentor. Everybody is just like, just being who you are as a mentor. Like you never know who's watching you. Like, especially if you're a father or, or a parent or a leader, right? The kids are watching you. Right. So like the fact that we're on this show and like you, you even are aware of like things that exist in the tech world and people are watching you and listening to your show, like you're exposing these, your followers, your listeners into something that can make them better. Right. So that's, I think that's important to call it out that shout out to you and your leadership and your mentorship. I think that's important to say, um, I think, um, when you think about, relationships like tech the tech industry is just like it everybody talks about the robots and the flying cars and things like that but it's it's a very human business and if you want to build relationships with people you want to not use them you want to just like talk to people when you need them you want to just build real relationships with them where you just hang out and and talk about cool things you don't always just ask for things and so it's the famous quote where if you want um advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice. And so that's the mantra that I followed like my whole life. And I don't expect anything in return. If I'm going to help you, I just want to help you. So. That is good. I like that quote too. Anytime you're about to hand some money to somebody, (laughs) it typically comes with advice. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's move to hobbies. You are a busy man with uh, quite a career. What do you do to, you know, reinvest in yourself for fun when you got some time? Yeah. Um, last night we watched bad boys for life. That was cool. Um, I like, I like, I like watching movies. I think watching movies is good. Um, especially because storytelling is important as a leader. So being able to create visual imagery through, through voice matters. Um, so that's why I like watching movies. I like to write, so I try to I keep a daily journal. I think that's important. I don't always write every day, but it's quote unquote daily journal. I do my best. Yeah. Um I um I take care of my body. I think that's one of the most important things that you gotta do. So good diet, good exercise. Um I'm not the best at sleep, I gotta get better at that. Um and um I also like to train jujitsu. I'm not, I I have not been as consistent in the last month and a half. Um, But overall, we do have a nice quarantine gym set up. We do have jujitsu mats. Um, And it's, I'm a white belt, so I'm very new, but I've really been enjoying it like mentally. I'm just really, and and physically, just everything about jujitsu is just amazing. It's a superpower. I didn't uh, know that, you're into jujitsu. I'm I'm a white belt too. There it is. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, a one stripe white belt, which means I get choked yeah. a lot. <laughs> is that the same, man? I got I got two stripes, and I still get choked out a lot as well, man. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been it's been really, but but it's great though, right? It's like it's a humbling experience. It keeps pushing you, and like 
since we want to help a billion people in 10 years, while I train for 10 years, hopefully by the time we hit a billion people in 10 years, I'm also black belt, right, through the whole process. So that's important. We train at Half Gracie here in San Francisco. Um, But right now we're we're leveraging Gracie University, which is um, Henner Gracie and and Hiron Gracie, which is pretty cool. Um, I love those guys. I watched yeah. all, I watched a ton of their clips. Exactly, exactly. So that's 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 what I've been doing. Um, I play the cello, so I've been playing the cello for almost thirty years, like you said. Um, and other than that, what what I just ordered now is um, the Muse Two, um, which is a meditation headband. I've never really been. I've always like kind of um, against it. Not against it. I just thought it was like weird. As I was like, oh, it's kind of weird, this meditation thing. But everybody yeah. talks about it. So right now I'm going to start trying that. I just got it, like, last week. So I'm going to see what it looks like. And I think it'll be good. I mean, especially since, like, prayer is important, mental health is important, spiritual is important. Yeah. And I want to get into meditation. So that's that's the new thing. I want to get really good at meditation, and I want to get my body fat down to 10%. That's, like, my focus. I've dropped my weight from 198 to 185 now. Um, since quarantine, so now I want to drop the body fat. So that's the I, goal. I found everything you lost during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started it, bro, and then my, my, my girl started calling me out on it. I was like, all right, I got to get it on it, you know. <laughs> I've been I've been wearing some, like, you know, basically just wear basketball shorts all the time. I had to put on pants the other day, and I was like, oh, man, we got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. Um, okay, so a couple general questions that I stole from Tim Ferriss, and then we'll get into um, a little bit about family, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. So, Sounds um, good. is there a book you've given as a gift on more than one occasion? Um, if not, is there uh, any any books that you want to shout out that have greatly influenced your life? The book I've been shouting out recently is this book right here. It's um. The Inner Game of Tennessee. The Inner Game of Tennis, the classic guide to mental side of peak performance. It's really, really good. I don't play tennis at all, but it's really about understanding how to manage your psychology. Hmm. I used to like always give people the hard thing about hard things, which is also a great book by Ben Horowitz. And also, I used to always give the book Zero to One by Peter Thiel, because it really helped shape. Peter Thiel's book, Politics Aside, um, really shaped the way that I think about business, right? Uh, competition and monopolies, um, which if you want to be number one, you want to have a billion people and create a category. Um, they're, they're some of the best people in the world at um, PayPal Mafia, some of the best people in the world to, to figure that out. Um, but going back to, to that book, Inner Game of Tennis, uh, ben Horowitz talks a lot about managing your psychology and the hard thing about hard things. And Inner Game of Tennis really teaches you how to stay cool all the time. Oh, and this also leads to another one of my hobbies. So my brother, who did a boot camp and is now working as a software engineer, he um, he's teaching himself Japanese. And And... And the reason why he's teaching himself Japanese is because he wants to watch anime movies without subtitles. And so (laughs) one of the, one of the ambitious, yeah, it is very ambitious. And one of, and he's very good at it now. Like he's been doing it consistently for a year. One of the, the shows that we're watching together now is called rise of the shield hero. 
And the reason why I bring it up is because um, in the hard thing, in the inner game of tennis, it really talks about how to, how to stay cool and calm and collected in any scenario, how, you know, getting your behind whoop in a, in a game or on, on, in the gym, on the mats is actually making you better. And like, if, if, if you're someone that's whooping somebody else's behind, you shouldn't see that as a negative thing. You should see that as you like helping the other person become better because you're exposing their weakness. They have a bad backhand, keep hitting their backhand until they get better at it, right? And make sure that they like continue to focus on it, right? You know, and so like just really getting really, really good at thinking about, they call it self one versus self two and understanding how to like break yourself down. They talk a lot about habits. They talk a lot about um, different things like that. And so, um, I highly recommend all three of those books. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Uh, how has a failure or significant obstacle in your path set you up for later success? Yeah. Um, so I got rejected from Y Combinator the first time. That was... For you mentioned YC earlier, and I meant to pause, but it was a bad time to stop you. But Y Combinator is essentially, you can correct me on this, It's I think of it as a, a boot camp for startups. Is that? Yeah, you could, think, you could think about it like a boot camp for entrepreneurs. That's how I describe or, it when I'm talking to people in Career Combo. But all, AKA, it's, a, it's the... Um, it's the world's largest tech accelerator. They've created over a hundred billion dollars in value in the last, like, since like 2005. So, Airbnb, Dropbox, Stripe, Instacart. It's like going. All came it's out it's of. almost better than going to Stanford. If you're yeah, coming out of a Y Combinator, there's a network, there's a brand, there's money available, funding, you know, ready to go. Yeah. Um, not just anybody goes through this program, so it's a very big deal. In tech. that's right. That's right. It's, it's harder to get into Y Combinator than Stanford. Uh, we got rejected the first time, um, and that was devastating. I'm not gonna lie; that was a little devastating. It was at a time when my brother was currently studying to to be in a, in a software engineer. He was in a boot camp. He was living in my same room, and we were excited because I felt like I crushed the interview with my co-founder, Archentimo Meister. And we opened the email and got a rejection, and like had to fight back tears. And my brother was watching me going back to the mentorship thing, so my brother's watching me. Right. And so even though my brother's like in his 20s, mid 20s, he still sees me as his older brother. So I'm I'm I, like, I, I'm not going to cry in front of him at that at that time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna cry in front of him. Yeah, the rules of the older brother. <laughs> and and then he's going to see what we're going to do, how we're going to react to the situation. So what we did is we printed out the rejection letter. We framed it. We had a strategy meeting and we decided what we were going to do. And we and we and we raised a small pre-seed round, executed, raised money. We had quit our jobs already, so we had no other choice but to focus on this. And then we applied again in December, and we got a job. I mean, we didn't get a job. We got accepted again when we applied again in December. And so, like, just I think that's that was a very formative time. Um, I'm also like not a stranger to rejection. I've never. I've never really gotten anything the first time. Right. A lot of the investors that are in our seed round are investors that rejected me in a pre-seed pitch. Right? And I'm confident that when I raise our Series A, that some of the seed round people that I pitch are going to be investors in the Series A. You know, we'll see. We'll see. But that's how my that's life good. has always played out. Right? Yeah, no's yeah. no's turn to yeses. So you never want to burn a bridge ever. 
I like that uh, because I feel like so many people have this attitude where it's like, oh, you turn me down. I'm never going to do business. Like, hey, you might do good business with them in the future. They didn't see the value, but now you're, you know, things have changed. Uh, no reason to, cl- to burn that bridge, right? Yeah. And also, like, I talk a big game. I talk, I, 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 I'm telling you, we are going to be the number one destination for career advice on the internet. We are going to help a billion people in 10 years. We like, we, we're going to be number one. Like, so when I tell people that they're like, is he really going to be number one? Like, I hear what he's talking about, but like, let's see if, let's see what they can yeah. do. And so they want to see if you can back it up. And so I get it. So I'm going to execute and I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you some progress. And if you're, if you're down with it now, it's okay. You'll be down with it later. Eventually, everybody's going to see it. That's yep. that's the story of every every company. They were misunderstood in the beginning. Netflix was 15 years early before streaming. That's why yeah. they started with the DVDs. Like the technology wasn't even there, right? You know, Salesforce. Will tell you, there's so many stories of so many founders that were rejected by some big people, and now now they're where they are. So that's I'm following right. the same the, the the same path and. Speaking of other founders, if people are listening to this podcast and they want to read another book to understand founder stories, read Founders of, of Work, Founders at Work by Jessica Livingston and, and Paul Graham. Also, really good book to get, be, a, be a student of tech companies to really understand how the game works. Awesome. Okay, talk to me about you know um, your. I know you're big on family. Talk to me about some of the lessons you learned growing up with your dad. Um, mm-hmm. What was he like as a father? What did he, you know, what were some of his best at, attributes as a parent? No parents perfect, but what what did he tend to do really well? And um, any you know, if there's any stories or anything you want to share that would be helpful for the audience to hear. Yeah, I mean, growing up, my father and I didn't have the tightest relationship, but it wasn't because he's a bad father. It's just because I'm very independent and I'm very hard-headed and we just beefed a lot growing up. But now my father and I are super close. Like my father's the first investor in, 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 in career crumbling, like the first, first Andrew check that we ever got. Um, and what's interesting about my dad is that he's a physician. He's an oncologist and a hematologist at Emory and the VA hospital. And usually people that grow up with fathers that are black, that are doctors, or just anybody that's a doctor, um, they usually encourage them to go down the same path, right? Just, you're going to be a doctor too. All right. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. It's like parent, parents in the medical field typically have kids going to medicine. Yeah. What's cool about my dad is that he never focused on pushing me towards a path that was in a specific career. He just kind of like, you can do whatever you want to do. And like, you don't have to do that, but you do have to go to school. His whole, his whole thing was you have to do something. You have to work. You have to um, learn a language and you have to learn an instrument. And as long as you are, oh yeah, and you have to like believe in God and like, and also like just really understand where all of, all of our blessings are coming from. And if you if you if you are healthy, if you are if you are um, strong and you you know don't have any like accidents happen along the way, like he's pretty much like okay. He he doesn't he didn't really 
um, intervene too hard. Definitely was a lot of discipline because I was a wild boy, but for the most part, he let me find my own way. He would make it very clear if he disagreed if I was going in the wrong direction. And by no means, I'm not a saint now, but for the most part, he he um he kind of like let me figure myself out. Uh, my my parents wanted to give me two things that nobody could take away from me but myself, which was language and music. So I, I grew up without being able to speak English. So when I went to kindergarten, I only spoke Spanish, even though my father's black. My father has taught himself English, Spanish, I mean, not English, uh, Spanish, Portuguese, French, and Chinese. Uh, my mother speaks wow. Spanish. Yeah, so it, and that's just like what he does on the side, which is why like you can see my brother doing the same thing. You grew up in a Renaissance yeah. household, man. Yeah, my sis, my sister plays violin. My brother plays cello. My sister's teaching herself Korean. Um, and so they're wow. they're like super into language, um, which I think is also helpful because you you understand your own learning style and what teaching style is best for you. So I think I think those things were a big deal. So anytime my dad made a a, a decision to do something, he would make it happen which I think is another big influence for myself is, um, and then we would always have family reunions. Um, every year we have a family reunion um, and legacy. Um, the Harris legacy is something he's always emphasized a lot. The importance of a name is something that he's, he said a lot. So my name, for example, my name means behold a son, lion of God. And the reason why they named me that is because um, my mother comes from one of three sisters um the first sister had a daughter and then i was the first boy out of that line of women and so that was behold a son and then line of god they're like not just dedicating me to god but like i need to come out roaring and like dominating everything and so that's in 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 god's name right that's like but yeah. been, like <laughs> but, but, but 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 like that's i think that's been I've been obsessed with lions since I was a baby, and I've been carrying that 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 energy, <laughs> even though I'm not <laughs> <Yeah>. a Leo. <laughs> my, my wife makes fun of me because I've watched like every big cat documentary that mm -hmm. is ever like I mm -hmm. love it. Mm -hmm. And going to the Gracies, the Gracies symbol is a lion, and and I got a yeah. big old lion head on my on my wall over here. So, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, um, something I wanted to talk to you about, and I'm glad you you uh, were, we've kind of naturally navigated there, and that's that you know, neither of us studied theology in college, uh, but mm -hmm. we both went to religious schools. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you've you've referenced God in several of your interviews, and you're very open about having faith. I am also a person of faith, and um, I'm probably not as open as you are. And I think it's, you know, fear of coming off in the wrong way or, you know, being going too far with it. Um, how do you strike a good balance on publicly referencing your faith while, you know, operating in the business world and especially in the, you know, tech can be pretty secular, right? So how, yeah. do, how do you strike that balance? I think to your point, um, in the beginning, I wasn't as open, um, I was, I'll say I've been very open since the beginning in tech, but in the finance world, I wasn't as open. I was more like kind of hush-hush, especially with the, like kind of like a models and bottles culture. Um, there's um, a good friend of mine who worked in investment banking. His name's Asan Salim. He was, uh, he's, a, he's from the Muslim faith, um, but he doesn't drink, pray five times a day, um, was very pure, um, 
when it comes to like his relationships with women and a bunch of other things like that. And he was very open about it and he was well respected and he was the life of the party. And I was like, wow, it's possible to be the life of the party without drinking. And you could be successful without having to like conform to everything else. And so I, th- I thought that was pretty impressive. And that's something that like really led to, it gave me the strength to stick to my 10 year sobriety like decision, which happened after I almost got a DUI, which is an, a whole nother conversation that I just did this long podcast about earlier this last week. Um, I'll figure out if, if it comes out in time, I'll, get, I'll, I'll send it to you so you can link to it because I think it is important. Um, but going back to, um, to, to your question, I would say that, um, the way that I've been able to communicate it in banking, I mean, in tech is tech values being a contrarian, right? Because if you think like everybody else, you're not gonna, you're not gonna create the next big thing, right? Because it's kind of like the stock market, right? You want to kind of like follow things that are opposite. Right. But that's obviously not always true. Um, there are definitely signals and things like that. But in general, like being contrarian is, is like a big thing. So for me, I would always frame my belief in God as not just something that I've always believed in, but the fact that I'm I'm not perfect. Like there's times when I like I made it very clear that my faith was the faith that was given to me by my parents. But then over time, it became my own and how it became my own. And yeah. also, I embrace the fact that, like, I'm contrarian. Like, my co-founders, they grew up Jewish, but they don't believe in God. I mean, they believe in the higher power, but they, like, so people are like, how are you able to work with co-founders that don't believe in God? And we make it work, and we have very deep conversations about life and, and the future and, and things like that. I think if you're not thinking about things spiritually, I think, I think you're going to be missing out, especially when it comes to labor movement. And let me tell you why. People are starting to realize that happiness doesn't come from money. People are starting to realize that your worth doesn't come from where you work and what you do. Like, people want to do something that is aligned with their purpose. And if you are in touch and grounded spiritually, you will help lead people towards what they were ultimately destined to do. And that's what I feel like what we're doing. We're we're ultimately helping people unlock human potential and get closer to their purpose, not just as individuals, but as a collective. So I'll say that's 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 an important balance. Um, I'm also very good friends with a venture capitalist named Jeff Lewis. He runs Bedrock Capital, who was also in our original Breaking and Startups post. And he's he's made it very clear that he feels that we're going to see a resurgence in religion. And I actually uh, I actually agree with that. Historically, we've actually seen religious faith go down across the board in every faith. But the reason why I agree with him is because um, we're in a pandemic. And anytime things are going good, you're going to forget faith. Mm, A lot of people are going to forget faith. But when you're about to die, everybody believes in God now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you're gonna yeah. try to try try to yeah. figure out how to make amends before you know we figure out what's gonna happen in the afterlife. So I think whether it's the Christian faith or or any other faith, I actually see we think we're gonna see a big jump in faith. Um, and and going back to the way that I communicate in tech, I would say 
being able to frame it in that context is important. And when it comes to sobriety, you know, there's a big focus on being sober now. There's a big, like being sober is cool now. Like Justin Khan tweeted about it. There's a big sober, curious community. Um, um, really? Big, I haven't heard about any of that. Oh, yeah, it's huge now. It's huge now. Cool. Everybody's talking about that. The other thing that people are talking about, which is very interesting when it comes to my faith, is is being a vegetarian, right? So I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist household, and, and taking care of your body um, with your diet matters. Um, and, and also these other things that we talked about with, like, the, the drinks that you take into your body. And so mm-hmm. now everybody's talking about being vegetarian. Like, if you look at Adventist history, all the a lot of big food companies, especially vegetarian ones, are tied to the Adventist community. And so wow. now, since there's such a big, and, and I'm a meat eater, but since there's such a big um, um, issue with arable land and the fact that our livestock emits more uh, greenhouse gases, yeah. the gases yeah, yeah. that our entire like transportation system. People are starting to see a problem with meat eating, and so um, that's why I'm a big fan of like what Beyond Meat is doing and all these other companies like that. And I think we're going to see a big resurgence in in vegetarianism as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. In, you know, led by tech, right? <laughs> led by tech, yeah. <laughs> so on on the family topic, you are on the record as saying you want to have five kids. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little about that? Yeah. I think that whenever people think about having kids, they make decisions based off of how much it costs. All right, so it's like, I'm only going to have this many kids because that's what I can afford. But if you, if you remove the financial barrier and you ask people how many kids they want to have, I would argue it would be more than just two or three or one to three. And if you look at historically, People got married earlier, and they had more kids earlier. And growing up in a family that, like, spoke Spanish and was around a lot of Latinx communities and and immigrant communities in Atlanta, um, sorry, I also saw people that grew up in big families. Um, And the beauty of it, so even though I'm only one of three kids, people that live in big households, have a great time. It's not like, oh, you're 18, you're out of here. Like, it's more like your family always got your back. And since my father always talked about legacy, I've always wanted to do the do the the five five or more kids thing. And there are present day examples of people that do it well, like Elon Musk, for example. Elon Musk is running three companies that could potentially be the most valuable companies of all time: with SpaceX, uh, Tesla. Um, Solar City, boring, boring company, boring like company, all these things, right? <laughs> like all of this stuff. And he also has five kids. I think six kids now, right? It's, it's, it's not, and, and so people are like, wait, it's impossible to do this, to be ambitious, to have kids, to do all this other stuff. And yes, it's difficult, but it's possible. And there are real life examples of people that do it. Obviously, everybody doesn't have the same level of ambition and ability, I'll say ability, or desire to want to manage all those things at the same time. But going back to what I said about money and identity and purpose, why? Are, what's the point of all this money that you're getting? What's the point of, of all these material things that we're acquiring, right? At the end of the day, we're going to die, and what are you going to have left, right? You know, that's why, like, 
that whole thing about like what what's the man that that lost his soul and in, in the pursuit of like gaining the whole world right yeah you know at the end of the day once people once people start getting into like studying philosophy or being spiritual it's either like does god exist or not and then like what is your philosophy on life and so you when it comes to money it's like do you want to either give it away give it away to your family or take the skills that you've learned and teach it to somebody else so like going back to jujitsu right their family trade is like fighting, right? And it's not like it's it's siloed to one person that's gifted. Like every single person in the family can kick somebody's behind because they've created something that they've taught and they've turned it into a business, right? It's the mm-hmm. spiritual gift that they've been that they've been given. Not just learning how to fight, but also how to teach it to and fan. create curriculum yeah. around yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And so um I want I want to create a legacy too. And and at the end of the day, it's not about me. Like a career coming will be part of my legacy. The people that are benefiting from the legacy, from from the community, are going to become better, and they're gonna they're gonna reach legacy. But I want my own family to do the same thing, and I see that with my co-founders. My co-founders are brothers, right? They're comes they're twin brothers, and they've got each other's back for life. I want that at a much bigger scale. And so I want to just not just have five kids myself, but I want to make sure that my sister's husband is, is, is tapped in. My, 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 my wife and kids are tapped in my, my, everybody, everybody benefits. And like, I love, if you look at wealth, especially in the black and brown community, there's not a lot of it, almost, almost zero. And if you look at wealth in other demographics, whether it's white, whether it's Asian, whether it's Indian, whatever, it's almost always tied to family. And when you look at community, it's I guess, I guess it's a little different in China because the the family structure is a little smaller. But with communities like Indian families or whatever, they're bigger. Brazilians, there's a lot of rich Brazilians, a lot of poor Brazilians too. But like the family structure is powerful, and that that dollar circles around through the family, and they keep the wealth and they pass the wealth on and on and on. And mm-hmm. there's a really great Chris Rock um, skit that talks about the difference between rich being rich and being wealthy. Um, and I want I want people to be wealthy, um, and and I study a lot of biblical characters that were wealthy, and there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. I do right. think that um, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Period. So it's, it's like there's a, there's a difference. Yeah, you have. It's nothing wrong with wanting to generate wealth so that you can improve the world and and humanity. Right. That's yeah. not a bad thing. And I but, think like just one more thing about that is just like one of my favorite stories is the story of Job too was like he had a very big family as well and then it was taken away he was tried he was tested and then he ended up having like i think it was seven daughters as well after his family was taken away and, and all his possessions were taken away and then he hustled again and stayed faithful and it, it, it all came back so anyway yeah yeah awesome well let's do we got four uh rapid questions here and we'll wrap it up so um what's something you're looking one thing you're looking forward to in the next 12 months um, next 12 months, I'll say I'm really looking forward to, uh, the growth of the company. So currently we have over half a million people a month coming to career karma. Now, um, by the fall, we'll have about a million a month. Wow. And we are, we're building out our, our direct, our, our, our directory into not just, um, job training programs called bootcamps, but also into colleges. So just like building, figuring out how to convert all of that traffic into uh, fast track signups, which is our what our common application that matches you with our algorithm that matches you with the right things, but also making sure that 
people have the tools that they need in order to get a job. So I'm also running a campaign called Reskill America, the great rehiring initiative. And so I'm, I'm raising half a million dollars and giving away 5,000 laptops to people that need devices because now that we're in an increasingly digitally connected world, um, people don't have not just Wi-Fi, they don't have laptops. And so um, we want to make sure that people have the devices that they need if they come from an underestimated community so that they can get a job quickly. Um, and so um, giving away 5,000 laptops is not easy, um, but we're already starting to give them away. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a fun experience. So I'll say those are, those are the next thing that's near term in the next six months. Yeah. Next 12 months, I guess we'll still be doing it during that time period. I'll just stop there. That's good. I like how you're giving away mm -hmm. the laptops within the context of an educational program designed to help people skill up rather than mm -hmm. just here's access to porn for people that don't have it. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like you give someone a device with no guidance, but you're giving them a track to changing their life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, okay. Any, uh, as far as coronavirus time, everybody's streaming, you listen to any good uh, podcasts or shows that uh, you want to plug that maybe someone hasn't heard of yet. First of all, yours is breaking into startups, which That's is a right. great podcast Hope That's hosted right. by Ruben. Any, That's any cool. others that you recommend people check out? Yeah, I like the Naval podcast. I think Naval is really good. He's very he's a big powerful tech leader, tech investor, but he also is a very good philosopher, so I like the way that he thinks. And that's um, N A V A L for anyone wondering. N A V A L. Yep. Really right. insightful. Yep. I like um Pomp Anthony Pompliano's podcast, the Pomp Podcast. It's really good. Um I like the NFX podcast, also really good. Okay. I like um, the Jocko podcast. That's how I first discovered Jujitsu. Um, yeah. I think, I think the Jocko podcast is really good. Um, I really like some episodes of This Week in Startups, um, especially the ones with like David Sachs. Uh, so uh, Jason Kalkanis, I think he has some, some good episodes. Um, I've There's a lot of YouTube videos that I watch as well, um, but those are more sporadic if i could think about like a specific channel i like what gary tan is doing gary tan has a lot of really good youtube episodes that i've been paying attention to um but i'll say recently there's a lot of really good writing that's coming out everything that the reforge team comes up with i, I read a lot um to really understand organic growth um and how to grow companies um that's been a big deal for me um and other than that Those are the main ones. Those are the main cool. ones. That's yeah. awesome. Lots to go and look at. We'll we'll be uh, hitting pause and digging up all those uh, yeah. those new shows. So thank you. Um, what is a one uh, good cause that you wish more people knew about and were able to contribute towards? Other than the Reskill America campaign, um, I like what. Um, I don't, uh, so this is a tough question. And the reason why it's a tough question is because the work that I'm doing, working with nonprofits for the Rescale America campaign, it's exposing me to a lot of issues that I have with a lot of nonprofits um, that I've gone on record about where a lot of times the, the resources that you give to organizations don't go to people that are solving problems for people now. They're going towards like, 
policy change, which I don't think is a bad thing to do, but that's a more long-term thing. We need more right. short-term initiatives. Obviously, anything related to COVID-19 and PPE, healthcare-related things, I think that's big. Anything going, anything that provides money directly to people, I think matters, right? If you or resources directly to people matters. Um, ideally, so that they um, get off of it. There's a great quote. I think it's by Kennedy, but I might be wrong. It says, um, "Charity is injurious unless it gets the person that is receiving the charity out of it." Mm -hmm. Right. You actually are fueling dependence on people. You, you, you're actually fueling the dependence on you if you aren't giving them. It's, like, it's the, teach, the whole teacher fish type of thing, right? It's like right, right, right. first teacher fish. Like we want to help people to learn how to be fishermen and women out of these situations, right? That's why going back to the laptop thing. To your point, we're not just giving you a laptop and the curriculum when you get a job that company's probably going to give you a laptop and you can give that same laptop to somebody else, which is like a fishing rod. You see yeah. what I'm saying? And you That's can bring amazing. somebody with you and become fishers of men, which is going back to the spiritual thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But um, but um, good causes. Okay. Smash Academy. I like what Smash Academy is doing with the Cape or Center for Social Impact. I like, I like um, what they're doing. Um, I like what People's Breakfast Oakland is doing. Um, they're in... Um, in Oakland, giving out uh, food and doing things for people, for the homeless and, and advocate and, and creating bailout funds and doing things to make sure that people can get back onto their own feet. They have their own unique way to make it sustainable. So I, I'll just check them out. People's Breakfast Oakland. I like what um, Code Path is doing. So shout out to Code Path and Michael Ellison at Code Path, um, Blake at, um, at, um, at People's Breakfast Oakland and Frida at Smash. Um, those are the three main, main ones that I could think of off top for now. That's awesome. Thank you. Now for anyone listening to this, who's interested in following you, uh, learning more about career karma, where can they reach you to learn more? Yeah. Um, Ruben at career karma.com. R U B E N at career karma.com. C A R E E R K A R M A.com. Um, just my first and last name on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all of that. The only thing that I really use is Twitter and Instagram. Um, but you can add me on the other socials as well. Um, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's the main way you can reach me. Yeah. Ruben, it's been a blast to have you on. I've learned a ton. I've, uh, I, I knew bringing you on was going to be good because I already knew a handful about you. And then I thought, you know, we can go dig a little deeper. I've been, uh, thoroughly enjoying this. So thank you for taking the time and uh, excited to spotlight all the good things you're doing, man. Appreciate Likewise, it. Man. Where, where are you based again? I'm based out of uh, about half an hour outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, cool, man. One, one, next time I, I travel to Raleigh, when things open up again, maybe we can roll and like get a little session in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's what we're, we're moving now, even a little bit further outside of the city so we can get a basement. I'm putting in some okay. mats and uh, we'll be rolling around for sure. Yeah, solid. That, that would be cool. Let's speak the language of jiu-jitsu together. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's get it, man. Well, thank you for having me on the show. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. Peace.